For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. As you probably know, Audible.com is a leading provider of audiobooks, uh, but you may not know they have a whole lot of other audio content. So we are offering you a free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and explore for yourself. See what's there, see what you like. Over the years, this podcast has continued to gain recognition as a great resource for small business owners, sales professionals, uh, business leaders, and that is because of the guests. These are folks who have expertise in particular areas of business, and they join me to share that expertise with all of you. Today is uh, no exception. My guest today is Paul Quatracasas. In his book, Go Tech or Go Extinct, Paul shares his revolutionary approach to transforming legacy companies into forward-thinking industry leaders through the strategic acquisition of disruptive technology companies. Paul is an entrepreneur, investment banker, and strategic advisor to CEOs, senior executives, boards, and shareholders of companies operating in or interested in the technology and digital industry sectors. He's on a mission to help large established non-tech companies partner with technology companies to avoid being blindsided by exponential change. Paul's been quoted in the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, US News and World Report and Forbes. He lives most of the time in London with his wife and their three children. Thanks so much for joining me today, Paul. Thank you, Diane. Good to be here. Well, I am happy to have you here. Now, um, you, you, we're going to be talking today about um, 
a lot of what your book is about, which is why non-tech companies should acquire tech companies. And um, help me understand why they can't just use technology and, and license or design their own solution rather than acquiring a company. Yeah, great question. Uh, and almost everyone asks that uh, at some point of this journey. And they, first of all, companies should be using and licensing uh, technology, software systems, et cetera, for their own purposes and designing bespoke solutions. So certainly they should be doing that. However, the problem is if that's all they do, if that's all a company does, then they're not gaining any competitive advantage with regard to uh, the, the other industry participants. Now, this may not have mattered too much 10 or 20 years ago when technology was more internal, supporting the replacement of spreadsheets uh, or replacing, frankly, the typewriter. Um, but with the advent of the iPhone and the smartphone developing and, and 4G communications and all the other wonderful uh, elements of technology that has embraced the world, um, that's no longer the case. And technology today is being used to attract customers, retain customers, uh, and have them be delighted by your offerings and your services. And therefore, because technology is now uh, so important to, well, your entire value chain, but especially your, your customers, it's become a competitive tool. We, we often say that the Porter Five Forces competitive model, model of competition that he designed back in 1979, is a little bit out of date now. It, it still applies, but in fact, we think that model has been transformed in a 3D way by technology. So every single force of his five forces, you know, the power of uh, the, the bargaining power of customers, bargaining power of suppliers, et cetera, has been transformed by technology and technology companies. Therefore, if all you're doing is licensing that technology and not owning the, the, the let's say the latest or the best, most powerful technology solution that can impact your customers, if you don't own that, then you don't have any particular edge over your competitors. And your competitors aren't just your traditional uh, competitors, they're new disruptors. You know, the Amazons who are disrupting the Sears and the Walmarts of the world. So your whole competitive playing field is changing constantly. And even the biggest, most, uh, most solid players, tech companies, know that they can be disrupted at any moment. You know, Andy Grove was famous for saying only the paranoid survive. And that's one reason, if not the main reason, why Intel did as well as it did. It's why Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook acquired Instagram. I think it was back in 2012 for a billion dollars, even though the company had no revenue, only 13 employees, because he knew that Facebook could have been disrupted by a platform like Instagram. And now today, Instagram is probably worth a couple hundred billion dollars. Uh, we, we, we see this, you know, we see this all the time, certainly with tech companies acknowledging uh, they could be out of existence if they don't own uh, the, the latest developments or the most important fundamental technology factors for their businesses. It's, it's a reason why Google renamed themselves to Alphabet because even though the Google search engine combined with YouTube probably delivers 90% of their revenue and profits, the company knows that anything can happen. They could be disrupted 
uh, at any time, just like they themselves disrupted uh, the newspapers and other sources of information before Google came on the scene. So that's really the fundamental reason in today's, as we call it, business as exponential world where everything is moving faster and faster. If you're an established company and you don't own the intellectual property, the know-how, the skills, and ideally uh, the team. So you can't, you can't directly own the team, but that team can, that you acquire can become a part of your family. If you don't have an ownership in that, um, then you're at risk of being uh, you know, effectively put out of business and, and losing customers and losing talent to other companies who are taking that lead and are determining to take control of their destiny by, by acquiring or investing in, you know, not necessarily needing a, a controlling stake, but by having a very large strategic stake in those few tech companies that can absolutely move the needle on your stakeholder value. Okay, so how does a company determine which tech they should be going after? Yeah, that's another great <laughs> question. And we get that all the time. And it's one reason why, why we exist as a business is to help, help companies with that. And it is a big, big question, uh, especially if you're, a, you know, if you're a billion dollar or more company with a presence in many parts of the world. Uh, you, you've got to look at the entire value chain from raw materials, procurement, production, all the way through to assembly, logistics, supply chain, distribution, warehousing, uh, and then to the end customer, and in some cases, the end consumer. And where is among your entire value chain, where is the most fertile ground? What's the inflection point uh, that's going to matter uh, where if you invest in or acquire the right tech or digital software company that really is going to matter and matter by a factor of, you know, 10 to hundred X ROI. And that's, that's a very important exercise to do. And not, not all, in fact, very few companies, I would say, do that. Um, the winners, the ones who are outperforming today have absolutely done that. So the Walmarts, the McDonald's, the Home Depots, JP Morgan, Santander, you know, many of the leading companies who have invested in acquired tech companies, they did that exercise, you know, they went through their entire value chain and they did that analysis. And it's something that we help companies with. It's both, you know, introspective as well as external. So you have to interview your own people, your own executives, your, the, the stakeholders of your value chain, wherever they may be, and ask them the tough questions. Ask them, you know, how do you see technology impacting your division or your department or your area? How is it impacting your, the, the competitors you're in touch with or the channel to market? Uh, what else are you seeing out there? What are your customers saying? Um, or if you're on the production side of things, how are you seeing robotics and 3D printing being used and AI and machine learning? And what are the challenges you see emerging? And, and how are you able to envision it changing? So you've got to ask all those questions, gather the intel. You've got to do the external research, checking out what your competitors and peers in other parts of the world are doing, what actions have they taken, both organic and inorganic. And you piece all that together. And then you look at the different priority areas because you can't do everything you've got to you got to choose your spots and mm -hmm. in the end we advise our clients to choose one or two priority areas to focus on so once you know where you want to focus uh, in terms of inorganic we call it inorganic innovation um, to acquire or invest in the right tech company then you can go out and do the search 
you know, then you can, and by the way, the search isn't easy because you're talking about thousands and thousands of companies that you've got to, you've got to look at. It's, it's not just a few hundred typically, it's many, many thousands. And because they could be anywhere in the world. It's not like an oil and gas company looking for another oil and gas field to buy. Um, it's, it's technology companies and they really are not that dependent on geography. They're dependent on the people and the solution uh, that, that matter to what problem you're trying to solve. Right. Right. So they're, they're harder to pin down. Mm. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is happy to be sponsored by audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have thousands of titles to choose from, as well as podcasts, Audible Originals, Guided Meditations, and more. One of my favorite audiobooks is Everyone Deserves a Great Manager by Scott Miller. For me, I love being able to listen to it anywhere and across my devices without losing my place. And I think you will too. So visit audibletrial.com slash business growth to explore the variety of audiobooks and programs for yourself. I mean, you buy them, but, but then do you have to then learn that industry or are you just counting on them to be able to continue to innovate and be ahead of the curve? So uh, another good question. I mean, we don't have to, let, let's, let me answer that in both ways. So from, from our perspective at my firm, Aqua Partners, we do not have to be an expert in automotive, the automotive industry or the retail industry or the food industry. Although, you know, increasingly we become more and more expert. We just have to be expert in the technology space, in the digital space. That's what we have to be. And we have been doing, you know, tech digital deals for 30 years um, and strategic work in this area for many, many years. So that's what is lacking, by the way, at most of these uh, larger companies. So, you know, a Ford and a GM, a Fiat, they have plenty of experts in the automotive industry. And the same would be true of, you know, consumer brands business. There's plenty of experts in those industries. And the last thing these companies need is another expert. But what they do need, we think, are experts in other areas that bring a different perspective, a different view that maybe they haven't seen before. Some insights to the future disruptions uh, in their industry that they don't have a full grasp of. And we see this all the time because it's our job to be on top of the auto tech and the retail tech and the food tech. And that's why uh, this, this marriage, so to speak, works so well of technology and industry because we're helping to deliver insights uh, that they haven't seen before. Now, um, when it comes to a non-tech company acquiring a tech company that's not an expert in, so for example, an automotive company might not decide that an auto tech company is the best uh, target company, depending on what part of the value chain it's looking at. It might be an AI or machine learning company that has focused most of its time in the oil and gas industry, or an AI company that's focused most, most of its time in the insurance industry. And because the AI company has been so busy uh, designing and selling solutions for one particular industry, it's never thought about or bothered with another industry. It's only until someone approaches them and says, you know what? Yes, we're from big auto company, ABC. Uh, and we know that you've only been designing solutions and delivering so far uh, for the insurance industry, but, but we found you and we see what you're doing. And it is 
it is unique. It's different. You're approaching uh, this problem, this data, you know, let's call it a, a big data analytics problem. You're approaching it in a way that we haven't seen any other auto tech companies deliver. or We haven't seen Accenture or IBM or any of these larger software companies or, or uh, systems integrators solve it. And, and would you consider adapting or creating a solution with us for the automotive industry? And we could do that as a joint venture, or we could invest in your, your business and you could, you could start to work with us to design solutions that no one else in the automotive industry has even thought of. Now, just taking that example, automotive, Tesla has effectively done that. They've done it from scratch, from the ground up with the mindset of software developers and digital entrepreneurs rather than only with the mindset of automotive, you know, executives and entrepreneurs, they've, they've combined the two, but the, you know, the Tesla cars are, are, are designed and engineered really with a mindset of a tech uh, company, tech, tech entrepreneur mindset rather than automotive. And there's no reason why any automotive company can't do the same thing, both in-house, by hiring the right people in, in innovation and hiring the right engineers and data scientists and so on, but complementing that with investing in the right, you know, auto tech or AI or, or whatever, you know, 3D printing technology company that is special and that it would be better to own rather than just license or use. And GM has done that, by the way, with, with cruise automation. So in 2016, GM paid, I think, about $600 million to acquire 100% of a zero revenue uh, self-driving software company called Cruise Automation that wouldn't deliver any big revenue for many, many years because we're not going to have self-driving cars for another five or 10 years. But GM knew that 10 years from 2016, there was a high probability that most companies, uh, sorry, most automobiles in the world that would be produced globally would be self-driving electric vehicles. And GM would be uh, probably not in the lead if it were relying just on its own in-house capabilities compared to all the other auto companies in the world who were, you know, who were trying to do something similar versus why don't we, since we know that the world in 10 years time will be flipped uh, to self-driving electric vehicles, since we know that, why don't we invest now to, to acquire the very best self-driving software company in the world? And it'll give us a much better chance of being number one, of being the best globally. And, and, and if we're the best globally in the automotive industry or among the best, top two or three, then we have a chance of doubling, tripling, growing by 10X our stakeholder value, you know, our shareholder value and, and uh, delighting our employees. And we'll be able to attract more talent if we have the cruise talent in our firm and attract more customers because we'll be designing the very best vehicles. And you know what? They're on that path. GM is, has, has been doing that in the last three and a half years. And they've diluted their ownership in Cruise by introducing external investors into Cruise. And, and the last round that they closed last year, I think valued Cruise at about $19 billion, which is a, a pretty big increase on the billion or the less than billion they paid only you know, three or four years earlier. So uh, there are plenty of examples out there of companies that are doing that. And in the Cruise case, Yes, Cruise was auto-focused, so they were designing solutions for the automotive industry, but it doesn't have to be that way. McDonald's last year acquired a company called Dynamic Yield for about $300 million, and Dynamic Yield is a software company that has is basically 
designing mobile personalization software for customers of all different industries. I think Dynamic Yield has customers in 10 or 11 different industries, but that's okay to McDonald's. They, they said, look, you continue growing your business, but as long as you, know, you, can, you can share your skills and your know-how and your insights and some of your amazing data scientists with us, with McDonald's, so that we can design uh, the very best experiences for our customers at our drive-through restaurants and ultimately through delivery and, and drones and everything that McDonald's will be doing in a few years by getting you your, your hot meal or whatever, you know, lab meat uh, meal delivered to you by drone in 15 minutes because Dynamic Yield Software has you know, determined through big data and all of its AI that that's precisely what you want. And Dynamic Yield didn't need to be an expert in the restaurant business, although they had been working with McDonald's for some time. So clearly they had and have people on their team that are, that are experts in that business. But it's a long answer to your question. Um, it may help if the tech company has already had a lot of experience in your industry, but it's not necessary, not necessary. Well, and I appreciate that. And I guess I wonder about it um, in the reverse, that the company that acquires the tech company, do they then have to develop some level of expertise in that tech in order to ensure that it continues to add value? In fact, you're, you're spot on. And that's, that's actually the whole point. That's the whole point is if you're running a company with, you know, I don't know, 10,000, 20,000 employees or 200,000 employees, um, that's, you know, that's a big elephant yeah. to be, uh, to be able to, to move quickly into this new world that's, that's moving so fast. And so what you want to do if you are running such a large company is precisely what you just said mm. is that you want your own people to upskill. You want as many of your people to become digital savvy. So instead of just having a quote, digital transformation officer, you know, chief digital officer or chief transformation or chief innovation officer. Yeah, sure. You, you can have those, those executives, but you really want everyone in your company to be thinking digital and to be thinking, uh, well, how could we be doing something differently? And they'd be thinking, you know, how do we accelerate this? How can we automate it? How can we become more resilient as a company? Cause that's, frankly, the world we're living in right now at this very moment after the pandemic. So when a, uh, let's say, company like Walmart acquires Jet.com, which is an e-commerce platform in 2016, Walmart was really struggling with its uh, e-commerce platform. I mean, I don't know how many millions it invested and how many people were on that project, but they were really struggling. And so Doug McMillan, CEO of Walmart, made a very, very smart move and acquired Jet.com for $3.3 billion at a 13 times revenue multiple. But by, by doing that, um, it, 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 you know, he was bringing into Walmart a team that would help catalyze the, the waking up, so to speak, of all of Walmart into the future. It turbocharged Walmart into the future. And just a few weeks ago, Walmart announced stellar results, uh, even during the pandemic. But they also announced that they were shutting down the Jet name because they'd already transcended it. In the last three years, they've been so successful with the Jet team coming into Walmart and turning around the walmart.com platform so successfully and acquiring many other digital companies and filing patents in all different areas like virtual reality shopping and blockchain enabled trucking fleets and robotics 
that Walmart effectively is becoming a tech company, a tech-enabled company for sure. And the Walmart brand now is so much stronger and stronger digitally that they decided, you know, we, we don't even really need the jet brand now. It's more of a distraction. And that doesn't matter. That, that isn't a, um, uh, a, a comment at all on, on the jet acquisition. Um, and, and this is one of those subtleties you've got to read deeply into. Look at the Walmart performance, the share price performance. It's been phenomenal. In retail, oh. it's, uh, it's exceeded all of its peers by a significant degree. And it all started with that jet acquisition. And, and the main benefit of these acquisitions, which are difficult to pinpoint because you can't put numbers on them, uh, but certainly the savvy boards and executive suites will tell you this. The main advantage of these deals is that they, they wake up the organization. As I say in, in my book, it bends the culture. It doesn't break the culture. It bends the culture to where the puck is going, you know, to the future, to technology, to digital. And so it's not easy. In fact, a lot of executives won't, won't make this move because, you know, it, it, it's not easy and it's fearful and it may go wrong and I might lose my job and, you know, I'm not sure I know how to do this. And, and that's, you know, those are perfectly natural fears, but they've got to be overcome. And you've got to make the decision. And when you do and you go all in and you do it the right way, your people will thank you for it because they'll, they'll say, now I really want to work at Walmart. I'm, I'm more proud to work here. I'm excited. This is a company with a vision and it's executing on its vision. And I'd rather stay here than be moving on to a different company. I get these calls from recruiters all the time. They want to hire me for this hot tech startup and they're offering me warrants and options. And no, actually, you know what? I'm excited now. This company is, is doing the right things and, and I want to stay here and I want to help this company recruit other strong people. And, I, and I'm enjoying working with these jet executives and so on. So that, that really is, I'm glad you asked that because it really is the point of all of this. It is, it is one of the few ways that a large established company can really go from being a, an elephant into a gazelle. Uh, and 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 actually, in many cases, beat the tech disruptors at their own game. I really appreciate uh, that answer. And you said something in there that I am curious about, or, or you know, that I would like to touch on, and that is the leaders who either choose not to. Uh, be this creative or disruptive or the ones who don't even see it. Uh, these are the ones who become extinct. Well, they're the ones it, it's unfortunate. They don't, they don't see it. Sometimes, you know, they see it, but there's some other competing priority. And very often it could be a chunk of debt that's got to be refinanced or repaid. So we just saw that with Hertz. You know, Hertz went bankrupt about three weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, which is a shame. And it was, it was on its way and the pandemic just, just toppled it over. But, you know, it had a huge amount of, of, of debt to, uh, to deal with. And that can be a major distraction. We saw it in the UK with Thomas Cook last year. $10 billion company, been around 170 years, went bankrupt. It also had a debt problem. So sometimes that's, you know, that should never be an excuse. Toys R Us. Uh, many, many executives would give that uh, as the excuse, leverage buyout victim of debt. Uh, but that, that, that actually, um, no board director should accept that as an excuse. The fact is that whether you've got debt or not, uh, you always have an obligation to innovate in the direction of where your customers are going. Um, that is your job, you know, is to focus on your customers, understand what they want and how they're changing. And also in some cases, understand what they don't even know what they want. 
but you can do that whether you've got debt or not. Now, if you're not accepting the, the, the need today, and this may not have been the case five years ago even, but certainly it is today. If you're not accepting the need, as I put it, to go tech, both organic in-house as well as inorganic, including investing and acquiring in tech companies, doing, doing you know, the right companies in the right way. If you're not accepting that, then you're probably accepting you're going to have to exit through an industry consolidation move, could be a sale of the company or a merger. And we've already seen that take place in many cases. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, the, the, the point is to do it soon, not, not wait and think that you can do it on your own and turn around. Um, if you really are not adapting in the way that I'm prescribing, then probably the best thing you do is start thinking over the next one, two, three years, what's the best exit uh, that you can achieve because if you're not going to adapt and transform and accelerate into a resilient company that it has it is built more on automated processes, then you may be automated out of existence. Um, and so that's where the go extinct comes in. If you wait too long, you know, if you're not deciding to adapt and transform, then you are deciding uh, to do nothing effectively and if you're going to do nothing, it's probably better to achieve an exit for your shareholders while you still can get reasonably good value. Um, otherwise, you, you are going to end up in a position where it may be too late to exit on your own terms, and you're going to exit on someone else's term, which frankly is the equivalent of going extinct. So yes, you may, even if you end up bankrupt, yes, the brand may survive and the company and the stores may survive, but you know, effectively for your, for your shareholders and very often your creditors, uh, it's been a disaster. So uh, that's, look, yeah. I was saying that two years ago, but after this pandemic, you know, it is, it's, I don't even have to say it. It's, 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 it's become self-evident really at most companies. Okay. So um, I'm trying to, and instead of uh, just trying to, I should just ask you how, is it possible? Is like, does this only apply to large companies or can small businesses? Great question. Do the same thing? Yeah, great question. You know, small companies can do it. They absolutely can do it. It's all mindset. I mean, Jeff Bezos was doing this in 1996 when he had a tiny little bookseller online, mm -hmm. uh, had 20 million in revenue and was losing money. And, and, and nobody gave it any credibility, certainly not Barnes and Noble and Borders. And guess what he was doing? He was able to raise money based on his vision. And he used that money to acquire a lot of independent booksellers and put them online, made them digital. And he, I don't know how many he bought, but you know, tens or 10, maybe even hundred of smaller booksellers. And that's how he built the business. But by raising capital and based on the vision, very clear vision of what he wanted to achieve. And then once Amazon dominated the book space, it moved on to e-commerce in general, and then it moved on to you know insurance and money and other things. So that's one example. But look, all it takes is the will, I don't want to say willpower. It takes the mindset and it takes imagination. And even if you're a company with you know, 100 million of revenue and you're, even if you're break even, but you're, you're self-sufficient, so you're covering your, uh, your, your cash flow break even or cash flow positive, you can still do this. You don't have to acquire 100% of a company. You don't even have to acquire 51. You can do a joint venture 
and you can do an exclusive partnership. You know, the, the beauty of exclusivity is uh, if you do it right, it can equate in value terms to an acquisition because you're getting exclusive access to the intellectual property, the know-how and skills of that team for your industry and your competitors cannot access that. I mean, then it's up to you to, to execute on it, but at least by cutting exclusivity, you can do it and you don't need to pay any cash for that. You're gonna have to invest in your sales and your marketing and probably for sure your product development. You may have co-ownership of the IP that you develop exclusively with your partner, but that doesn't require a lot of cash and you don't have to be big to do it. You just have to be big in mindset. That's it. Um, you, you don't, you know, it's one of the biggest limiting beliefs that I experience, even at the largest companies is, well, we, we're not a tech company. We can't do that. Or we're not, you know, we're not big enough. I've even heard from a company that, you know, is a, is a multi-billion dollar company, very successful, very profitable in over 20 countries saying, well, we can't do what McDonald's has done because they're in 240 countries and we're only in 20 countries. You know, I've heard all kinds of excuses or limiting beliefs. But at the end of the day, um, there, there, is, there is no barrier, there's no obstacle to any company digitizing itself and modernizing itself and, and finding a way, let me put it this way, to partner with the right tech company. The most powerful form of leverage today for any company is to acquire um, a tech or the, acquire the right tech or digital company. So if you acquire it, if you take control, that's the most powerful lever you're going to have because it attracts everything else you want. It attracts the right people. It's going to help you recruit the right people after you acquire that company in the right way. It's going to help you attract the right customers. It's going to attract the right press, the right attention. It's going to give you momentum. Your competitors are going to talk about you. It's the most powerful lever there is. Much more powerful, in my view, than capital. Um, capital especially isn't so, so valuable today when interest rates are at zero and have been for a long time. So that's the most powerful lever. But if you can't acquire a company for, for, because you don't think you have the balance sheet or, or whatever it might be, that's okay. There are many other ways to skin the cat. The key is to find the right digital or tech company. And very often these are hidden companies. You, you, you can't find them without doing the hard work. Some of them aren't even on the databases. Some of them don't even have websites or maybe they have a website, but it's old and it's crusty, hasn't been updated because the people in the company care more about designing and developing the world beating product than they do about updating their website. So, you know, the, it all starts with the mindset and the decision. And, and, and then once you make the decision to do it, then you'll do it. You'll find a way. It'll happen. You, you, you'll form the right team in your company uh, with the right level of resource allocated to it. And they'll go out and make it happen for you. So absolutely, I believe in that. I don't talk a lot about the smaller deals because they're not as well recognized as the GM and the Walmarts and, and the McDonald's of the world. But these kind of deals are happening. Um, they're happening, you know, at all, at all sizes for sure. There's so many things that I like about all of this, not the least of which is that um, by doing this, you attract some of the best talent because before the pandemic, talent was hard to find, you know, good talent was, you know, anyone who wanted to be working was working. So um, having a, so having a competitive edge is more than with your customers. It's also with, employees being the place people want to work. Oh, more than ever, more uh -huh. than ever, because there's so much competition for talent. We've heard about the word for talent for years and years. Hell, we've yeah. been talking about it since I was in business school um, eons ago. But the fact is that today, 
the war for talent is not just your direct competitors or even your indirect competitors. It's yeah. the VC-backed tech startups that, you know, if you're an AI machine learning company or robotics company and you're going after a certain industry, let's say you're going after automotive industry, guess who you want on your team? You want some automotive industry experts on your team. So you can go back and sell your AI software to the automotive industry. So, you know, guess who's turning up at, at, at your door to make you an offer? It's a VC-backed auto tech company that's just raised 50 million or 100 million. And their share, you know, they're growing fast and their shares are going up in value in the private market. Um, that's pretty attractive to a young, capable, talented executive. And so it isn't just other automotive companies. And, and by the way, it isn't just a Microsoft or a Google or an IBM or, or other, you know, IT tech companies that could, could uh, be interested in you, but it is now these smaller tech. I mean, there are today over 400 unicorns. A unicorn is a private company valued at over a billion dollars. Back in 2012, 13, there were only about 30 or 40. Now there's over 400. In fact, before the pandemic, there were 470. I'm just assuming now that's come down to about 400 because of the prices probably coming down. But that just, it, it's growing all the time. And those unicorns, by the way, are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, uh, growing in value constantly. And then you have all the companies below the unicorns in terms of total companies that are, as we, we have qualified them as viable companies that are more than you know, one person in a garage, but have raised some kind of funding. Um, there are about 400,000 tech companies in the world. And all of them, if you talk to any one of their leaders, they'll all tell you why they're the best and why they're going to win and why they're going to grow. Well, of course, they, they, they can't all necessarily hit their, their goals, but they all are able to, in some way, um, form an argument that's compelling to an industry executive. And I can tell you in the last year with some of our clients, I've witnessed our clients lose some good people for precisely this reason. Um, and, it, and therefore, it, you know, it, it's become a, look, it's, fundamentally, it's more important now because large companies in particular depend more on technology now and they need to have automated systems and so you're going to have fewer people that are on the ground doing the, uh, the dirty work, so to speak, or blue collar. That isn't uh, and hasn't been the case during the pandemic and the lockdown, but that's going to change. It'll be six months, a year, or however it is until we have a vaccine. But um, you know, longer term, the, the real scarcity of talent will be those people who are well-trained and educated uh, and motivated and who are designing the systems that companies run on. You know, that's, that's really where we're headed with. I mean, look, go all the way to the singularity, which uh, Singularity University and Ray Kurzweil and others are, are saying is only 15 years away. I mean, if that's true, I mean, that's, that is fast. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have an opinion on that. I can just tell you that that's yeah. what uh, Ray Kurzweil was saying, 15 years. Well, you know, that's the point where we don't even really need many people anymore for designing systems. So we don't have really, we don't really have a lot of time in that sense uh, to design our companies, but, but now is the time to redesign our companies for you know, all the new ways of being able to do business. I mean, who would have thought that we could all have just left our offices overnight and still conducted business through Zoom and Skype and go to webinar and microphones and video cams. I mean, this, we take it for granted. We didn't have yeah. all this 10 years ago. We didn't, 
video conferencing was, there's no way we could have handled either the quality requirements or the capacity requirements. And it would have really been extremely painful for many people and many companies. But this pandemic, and I haven't actually heard many people talking about this because we take so much for granted. It's why one of my favorite books is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Uh, written by Robert Persig. Oh my he, God, I love that book. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he, you know, he made it very clear. We all take for granted technology, even things like toilets and, and kitchen sinks, uh, electricity, and, and, and it's so true. And today we, we take for granted Zoom and Skype, yep. video conferencing and our mobile phones. Well, you know, we've only had this stuff for about 10 years. It's, you know, so, and that's just accelerating faster and faster. And I think, um, Many executives, certainly I've talked to, have been shocked at how quickly that they've been able to adapt, which again points to the incredible adaptability of, of, of humans. You know, we really are incredibly adaptable and it goes both ways, not just backwards, but also forwards. That, that <clears throat> is so interesting. Um, it's one of the things that I've said about this pandemic is that it's a good thing it didn't happen 15 years ago. Yeah. Could you imagine, you know, it would be so much worse uh, if that would even be so possible because, right? I mean, companies, like no one would be able to function, at least some yeah, that's organizations right. can function. Yeah, well, we, 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 had, we had telephones that worked, but, right. you know, but, but not being able to share spreadsheets and 3D models and so on over screen so easily and getting tens and hundreds of people on conference calls, on, on video calls where we can share documents and, you know, it's just, um, exactly. It really matters. Right. It does. And it really does speak to what you've been talking about, which is we have to be thinking about, um, being able to provide not only the things that our customers are saying they need and want, but making sure that we have the technology within our company so that we can meet the need no matter what is going on within relative reason, but, you know, so, so that we have that competitive advantage. Absolutely. I mean, it's, wow. it's, a, it's a must. It's an absolute must today, for sure. It's really incredible. I, this is fascinating to me, and, and I really appreciate the information. It's sort of got my wheels turning. Uh, which is always fun. I, um, I am curious about one other thing, which is if you could explain to me why you are against corporate venture capital, mm -hmm. um, you know, cause yeah. it seems to be all the rage, but yeah. Well, okay. That's a good one. So corporate venture capital, um, I'm against, I'm, a, I'm against version 1.0. And uh, version 1.0 is <clears throat> the, the version that uh, large established non-tech companies uh, have seen what the tech companies are doing. So the Intel capital and Google ventures and so on and say, well, we can, we can do that too. We should be doing that because we need to, to do more in tech and digital. So let's just set up a fund and it's easier that way. So very often the, the default is, well, it's just easier. We'll just, we'll just take a team of people and, and get, give them some capital at the balance sheet and maybe, maybe raise a little bit externally. And then they'll figure it out for us. You know, they'll do the tech stuff. They'll find the right companies, the right people We'll invest in them when the time is right. You know, we can buy the whole company. So that, that is version 1.0. And it's, I think it's a cop out. I really do. I think very often it's an excuse for senior management of the company to wash their hands of 
of really going deep with what innovation means and what, what technology is and what transformation means. And, you know, unless it's part and parcel of the core business and integrated with the divisions of the, of the company that are generating revenue that are in contact with customers, unless it's in that context, then it's not really real. It's just another experiment. It's like the lab. Um, and, and I don't think that's good enough. I don't think it's effective. I think, look, some of these funds are quite successful financially. You know, they, they can make good returns. And sometimes they do produce an educational effect on employees. Sometimes there are a few winners in there. Sometimes a company will end up acquiring one of those companies. But my argument is that it can be so much better. If you're going to do it that way, then do it properly. And that's what we call CVC 2.0. And we only came to this view after one of our clients was saying, look, we know, Paul, you don't like corporate venture capital. Um, and, and we understand the reasons, but we, we want to do it anyway. And, and they had their reasons, some of them technical accounting and tax. And, uh, and can you just propose for us, if you had to do it, if you had to set up a corporate venture capital arm, how would you do it? And I, and I conceded. I said, okay, all right, we'll come back to you with that. So we took two or three weeks, went away, thought about it very deeply, and realized that if a company applied the principles of techquisition, which is our 12-step you know, methodology, uh, that we work with our clients on to help them find the right company in the right part of the value chain and to acquire, acquire that company in the right way. If we applied that same methodology to a corporate venture capital approach, then, then we could be quite happy with it. And what it means is you, you, would, you would have a team uh, and, and some of that team would have to come from the parent and still be employed by the parent. And they would be uh, still identifying the right priority parts of the value chain. They'd be doing the searches uh, on a systematic basis every quarter for sure, uh, uh, refreshing those searches. They would invest properly in that process. They would find the right companies. Uh, they would ensure that no investment would be made without having a sponsor within the corporate, you know, the parent, uh, a, a, a sponsor who would ideally be leading a division uh, and ideally, that sponsor should be a line manager who's on the front lines, ideally with customers and responsible for P&L. And there'd have to be a very, very good reason for that sponsorship. And the objective of the investment would have to be twofold. First of all, we're going to make a good return on our investment from a financial perspective. But we also have to draw up a, an effective you know, press release, as Amazon does it a year in advance. In this case, maybe it's three years from now. We have to imagine, we have to be able to envision the value that this investment will create for the parent company in, in, a, in the sense of moving the needle. So if our parent company has a $10 billion market cap and we're investing 10 million into this company today, then we wanna have uh, very clear from the date of investment, a, a roadmap and a plan, tangible plan, a high level, that we can see this investment creating, you know, at least a material 10% move on our market cap. So this single investment should deliver a billion dollars of value to us in three years, four years, five years. If every single investment adhered to that rigorous standard and that process, then I believe corporate venture capital could be extremely valuable. The oh. question is, you know, who is doing it that way and which companies are even willing to go through the effort to do it that way because right. it, it ain't easy, you know? 
Sounds that's, like that's it. That's <laughs> a hard thing to do. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. That mm -hmm. um, I think that's really valuable information. Okay. Um, so I just have to tell you, so I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's got me thinking about things um, in a different way, which is always valuable. Um, so thank you for that. And so will you let the listeners know, uh, you know, how they can find your book and, and, uh, and you? Sure, sure. So they can find me uh, pretty easily in the web by Googling either my name, uh, Paul Quattrocasas, or my firm, Aqua Partners, A-Q-U-A-A -A Partners, and, uh, and, and my email as well, if anybody's interested in emailing, e emailing me, it's paulc at aquapartners.com. And, and my book you can find on Amazon or Apple Books, wherever books are sold. Great, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending time with me. And listeners, thank you. This was a great, you know, it was a little different from some of the topics we've had, but it is something that really gets your brain going and something we all should be thinking about. Thank you, Diane. I would like to thank our sponsor, uh, audible.com. Uh, get your free trial of audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and explore the audiobooks, the Audible originals, um, podcasts, all the stuff they've got going on. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Everybody should definitely come to Baltimore. We have a way of speaking to each other through food. It's really renewed for me, my love of what I do. It's gonna take something far stronger than a pandemic to defeat us. All of these businesses are taking precautions to make sure that everyone is safe. We're ready. See what we've got going on. Plan your visit at baltimore.org. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.